coming to you live from New York. I'm Zane Ashton. My colleague Julia Chatley. This is First Move. And here is your need to know. Stimulus relief futures rise after President Trump finally signs a $2 trillion bill. And darkest days ahead. Fauci's grim warning as Americans continue holiday travel and journalist jailed. The reporter who highlighted the Wuhan outbreak gets four years. It's Monday. Let's make a move. Welcome to First Move. So good to have you with us. Let's begin with a look at the markets. Wall Street is set to open near record highs as we head into the last trading week of 2020. All the major averages are on track for solid gains in early trading. Investors pleased that President Trump has finally signed the $900 billion emergency aid bill into law, ending days of uncertainty for struggling businesses and families. Stimulus optimism is giving European markets a boost as well. While the UK market is closed for a holiday, Asia finished Monday's session mixed. But shares of Chinese internet giant Alibaba fell about 8%. Beijing is accusing the companies and financial fintech unit of ignoring regulatory rules. Officials want Ant to curb its expansion plans. Other Chinese tech stocks fell in sympathy with uh, Alibaba today. Let's get right now uh, to the drivers. After nearly a week of uncertainty, President Trump has signed the coronavirus relief and government funding bill into law. His initial refusal to sign it threw many Americans into financial limbo and sparked fears of a government shutdown. John Harwood joins us live now. So the government shutdown, those fears have been averted. But the fact that the president didn't actually sign the bill on Saturday, what sort of problems will the delay cause, especially when it comes to the unemployment assistance programs, John? Well, in the short term, Zane, there are some Americans who will not get an unemployment check this week because uh, by not signing it before the uh, beginning of the week uh, on Sunday, the uh, extended unemployment lapsed for uh, several millions of Americans, and uh, that's a significant hardship for them. Uh, the President of the United States doesn't really care about that. This entire delay was uh, uh, organized around the need to affirm his ego. He was trying to say, I'm still relevant to this process, even though in a little over 20 days I won't be president anymore. Uh, he had the power to hold up the bill. He did hold up the bill. In the end, he uh, deferred to all the entreaties of uh, fellow Republicans and Democrats and other people uh, to avoid uh, much more human misery that would have been uh, caused by both a government shutdown and the delay in the benefits of this bill. Uh, but there are short-term consequences for people who will not get a check this week. It's very sad. Um, so in terms of what Americans have to look forward to. What is in this bill, especially for unemployed Americans? Well, there are multiple things in this bill. $900 billion is a lot of money uh, in COVID relief. It's less than the bill that was passed in March, which was over $2 trillion, but it's substantial. You've got $600 stimulus checks for families earning $75,000 a year or less, which is most American families. Uh, and that's seven, uh, $600 per person, so a family of four would get $2,400. You've got uh, extended eligibility for unemployment for people whose unemployment had run out and a $300 federal unemployment bonus check. You've got the protection from eviction for millions of families that were facing the expiration of those uh, protections by the end of the year. And you could have had a very large number of Americans thrown out on the street because they're not able to pay their rent. You've also got aid in this bill 
for vaccine distribution. Uh, you've got aid for uh, uh, indirect aid for uh, state and local governments for things like education uh, to try to get schools back open. Uh, so there are many benefits to the American people in this bill uh, of $900 billion, and uh, uh, we're going to see them uh, uh, administered and distributed soon enough. Uh, but as we discussed earlier, the uh, interruption of unemployment for some Americans. The president also says that he expects Congress hopefully at some point to vote on legislation to increase direct payments to ordinary Americans to $2,000. It's one of the rare points that Democrats and the president actually agree on. What, what is the timeline for that happening, do you think? And, and how possible is it to get Republicans on board? Well, Zane, it's certainly not going to happen when Donald Trump is president. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Republican leader, has no interest in that. Um, the president issued a series of demands, both in terms of a $2,000 per person check, as well as the uh, elimination of some foreign aid in the bill and other uh, things that he called pork. Of course, it wasn't pork uh, and it wasn't extraneous uh, it, uh, uh, items inserted into the bill. They were things his own budget requested. He didn't, uh, he, he skipped over that fact in trying to uh, get people to uh, bow to his power. Um, but the one consequence I think that may happen is when Joe Biden comes in, he's gonna ask for more aid uh, from Congress. Uh, don't know if he's going to be able to get that. Partly that will depend on whether Republicans or Democrats win these runoff elections for the Senate in Georgia, which would determine whether you have a Democratic or Republican Senate. But the fact that the president called for $2,000 checks gives a little momentum for what Joe Biden can request for Congress in January, and we'll see whether he can make that stick. And just in terms of overall the president's delay in, in signing this bill, I mean, what sort of impact do you think that will have on Purdue and Leffler in, in the Georgia Senate runoff? Well, it's possible uh, that uh, uh, it will have no effect. Uh, the president's going to have a rally on January the 4th. The runoff, of course, occurs the uh, following day, uh, January 5th. Uh, January 6th is the day that the Electoral College certifies the votes, and Donald Trump's been trying to disrupt that as well. Uh, but there had been signs somewhat uh, uh, earlier in this process that there's a group of Republicans, small group, who uh, have heard the president describe elections as rigged and fraudulent and have taken the view that, well, if it's rigged and fraudulent, why should I show up? Do not know if that's going to be enough to tilt these races. They're extremely close, both of them, uh, both for Kelly Loeffler, the appointed senator serving out the term of uh, a senator who resigned, and David Perdue, the elected senator, trying to win another term. Uh, so we, we, it's very difficult to forecast the effect on these elections. We know they're close, and the question is whether the president, uh, his effort to rally turnout at the end, offsets the discouragement of turnout that he may have caused earlier in this process. Right, John Harwood, live for us there. Thank you so much. The stimulus checks will arrive just as the coronavirus pandemic could hit Americans even harder. Top infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci says that he fears a post-holiday season surge in cases. More than 60,000 Americans, get this, have actually died from COVID-19 in just in December, just in December alone, making it the deadliest month yet. Another 1,200 died just on Sunday. That's according to Johns Hopkins University. The country has now passed 19 million confirmed cases. Adrian Broders is at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport as millions of Americans continue to travel. Obviously, Adrian, we know that um, travel in this country has certainly been uh, depressed and suppressed 
since the pandemic started. But the fact remains that according to the TSA, they actually screened 1.2 million passengers on just December 23rd. How do you get this virus under control when that many Americans continue to travel? That's the challenge, Zane. When people are traveling, it will be extremely hard to get the virus under control. And health experts say they aren't so much concerned about people passing through the airport. It's the concern comes when they reach their final destination and what they do when they arrive there. The lines here at Chicago O'Hare International Airport this morning are long and people have had to wait. And you talked about the TSA screening more than 1.2 million people on Sunday. They broke the previously set pandemic record and they screened more than 7 million people within the last week. Throughout the morning, we've been chatting with passengers. I asked them two questions. Where are you going and why are you traveling? One woman told me I need an escape. So she said she and her friends are heading to Jamaica. She said she feels safe because they were required to test negative before entering that country. So she feels the precautions that have been or the measures that have been set in place are an added layer of protection. I spoke with another family of five. They're heading to Florida. They're going to Disney World. That family told me they had plans to go to Disney World back in March, but that trip was canceled because of the pandemic. And they said now more than ever, they really want to be together. So they're going to ring in the new year in Florida together. Zane? So, so people are basically traveling partly because, I mean, obviously they, they want to see friends and family, and I get that. But some people are saying that, listen, if they're required to take a negative test before they get on the plane, then that makes them feel more safe. However, when you look at the numbers, I mentioned before I, uh, before I introduced you that we're in a situation where 60,000 Americans in just December alone have died because of this pandemic. When you look at numbers like that, what does that tell you about what's to come? Oh, those numbers are troubling. Horrible milestone here in December. December has been the deadliest month. More than 63,000 Americans died, and it's all because of the virus. And health officials warn, you know, we have the vaccine now, but darker days could be ahead. Listen in to what Dr. Anthony Fauci said. We very well might see a post-seasonal in the sense of Christmas uh, New Year's surge. And as I've described it as a surge upon a surge, because if you look at the slope, the incline of cases that we've experienced as we've gone into the late fall and soon to be early winter, it is really quite troubling. Troubling indeed. At least 20 million Americans were, the, the hope was that uh, 20 million Americans would receive that vaccine by the end of the year. There are only three days left in the year, and it looks like America is going to fall short of that goal because as it stands right now, about 2 million people have received the vaccine. Zane? Yeah, certainly uh, slow, slow progress being made. Adrian Borders, life for us there at Chicago O'Hare International Airport. Thank you so much. And from the U.S. to the EU, where a mass vaccination program is now underway, this as a British regulator is prepared to make a decision on AstraZeneca's vaccine. Salma Delaziz is in London for us. So uh, just, just walk us through this, this mass vaccination program in the EU. Just given the pace of the vaccination rollout right now, 
how long will it take? I think this is the question in everyone's mind. How long will it take for significant portions of the population there in the EU to be protected against this virus, to have so-called herd immunity? Zane, I mean, that's, as you said, that's the question everyone's asking, and it will take months. But for right now, this is a ray of light in what's really been a very terrible surge that's been plaguing Europe and the UK. Um, the first vaccinations rolling out this weekend, and it's especially good news for a country like Germany, which developed the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, but ultimately had to watch other countries roll it out first. There, they were so excited that the first jobs were given uh, on Saturday, a day ahead of the rest of the EU, the first person being a 101-year-old woman living in a nursing home in Germany. So a major step there in the EU. And the advantages of it are the same as the disadvantages with, the, with this vaccination program. 27 member states, everyone gets the same amount of vaccine, but supplies are limited. So back to your question about how long it will take. It will take a while because there have already been delays. You're sharing it among 27 member states. But again, just this moment of hope in the middle of this pandemic. And there's also, it couldn't come soon enough. There's also been signs that the variant that's prevalent here in the UK might have made its way into the EU. That variant uh, is prevalent in London and parts of Southeast England. And here in the UK as well, positive news, Oxford, Oxford, AstraZeneca rather, that vaccine is set to be approved in a matter of days. British authorities are, of course, very excited about this because this is the homegrown vaccine, right? Developed at Oxford University, one of their own rolling out here. Uh, there has been debates about its efficacy. Uh, preliminary trial showed it to be 70% effective, but the researchers and scientists who developed this vaccine say it can become more effective if that second dose that's given, remember two doses, that second dose is a half dose. That might raise the efficacy to 90%. And that's also great news because this is a cheaper vaccine. It only costs about three pounds as much as your morning coffee. It doesn't need that super cold refrigeration capacity, a normal refrigerate a normal refrigerator will do. So a lot of positive signs here, but again, balancing those new vaccines, those rollouts with the demand from authorities, heed the heed restrictions, make sure you stay vigilant. We're not there yet, Zane. Salma Delazis in London, thank you so much. Right, these are the stories making headlines around the world. An independent Chinese journalist who documented the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan early in the pandemic has been sentenced to four years in jail. You're looking at uh, pictures of the lawyer there uh, for Xinjiang. She's reported on efforts to contain the virus just as authorities began reigning in coverage. Ivan Watson joins us live now. So she was found guilty, essentially, by Chinese authorities of picking quarrels and provoking trouble. Clearly, just another example, Ivan, of China trying to silence dissidents. Yeah, well, um, the Chinese foreign ministry was asked about this case in particular, and a response from a spokesperson was that the, quote, Chinese government protects citizens' freedom of speech in accordance with the law. But in the case of this woman, Zhang Zhan, who was a citizen journalist who was compelled, I guess, to travel from Shanghai to Wuhan back in February and try to rewind back to those days when the worst place in the world for the coronavirus epidemic at that stage before the pandemic was the Chinese city of Wuhan, uh, which became the target of very draconian uh, lockdown measures. And she went there and kind of posted messages about that and videos on social media. We have one that maybe we can show you where she shows uh, the hallway of a hospital in Wuhan that's that's crowded with patients being treated in the hallway itself. Well, she got in trouble for this and has been detained several times. 
and always accused of this kind of vague crime, quote, picking quarrels and provoking trouble, which is a crime that the Chinese authorities typically level at dissidents who do not tow the government line. Now, according to the organization Reporters Without Borders, China is the world's biggest jailer of journalists. And beyond Zhang Zhan, we know of at least three other citizen journalists who tried to document what was going on in Wuhan last winter, who have all been detained or disappeared. In her case, the defense attorney says that she's been on hunger strike while in detention since uh, last summer. And that when the lawyer met with her at the beginning of this month, he said that her arms were restrained, that she looked thin and pale, and that she had a gastric tube inserted through her nose and mouth that the authorities were force-feeding her. He says that she appeared in court today in Shanghai for her sentencing in a wheelchair. Zane? Ivan Watson, thank you so much for bringing us that important story. Appreciate it. Authorities in Nashville, Tennessee, say they have identified the bomber behind an explosion on Christmas Day. DNA found at the scene was matched to 63-year-old Anthony Quinn Warner, who was already a person of interest in the case. Warner died in the explosion, and his motives at this point still remain unknown. Three other people were also injured as well. All right, still to come here on First Move, Trump signs the COVID-19 relief bill. And we are headed right now towards a higher open. Greg Ballier is talking markets with me next. Welcome back to First Move. One drama has been resolved. Many others still to come during this extremely busy holiday period in Washington. President Trump finally signed the $900 billion COVID relief bill into law Sunday night, which means that new aid will soon be flowing to jobless Americans as well as struggling businesses too. The move also keeps the U.S. government up and running. Meantime, Congress will move to override President Trump's veto of a key defense bill. All this as the makeup of the Senate remains in play just one more week before those hugely important runoff elections in Georgia. Greg Vallier joins us live now. Uh, he's the chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. Greg, thank you so much for being with us. So uh, let's just talk about the stimulus bill to start off with. How much do you think this, this really impacts the broader economy, um, especially in Q1 when it comes to staving off a recession, do you think? I think it's a big deal, Zane. Uh, you got uh, $900 billion coming into an economy that was looking really, really weak. Uh, just a, f- a few days ago. So I think it's a big deal. It, the economy is not going to blast off, but I think this bill will avoid a recession. And in terms of the direct payments to uh, Americans, I mean, in terms of what's in the bill, a few hundred dollars here, do you think it's enough? Obviously, the president wants to see $2,000 uh, in direct payments at some point in the future. Just walk us through how much of a difference $2,000 indirect payments will actually make to the U.S. economy, especially when it comes to consumer spending. Well, what a bizarre story last week. He, he threw Steve Mnuchin under the bus. Mnuchin had negotiated $600. 
2,000 is something the Democrats would love to see. So uh, I think this was a way for Trump to say to the Republicans, uh, I'm furious with you for not uh, supporting my bid to uh, win another term. Uh, the election was fixed, but you wouldn't agree with me. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts to this story. I think maybe Trump is uh, looking at a narrative for 2024, saying that I wanted to give people a lot of money. But the fact is, we got a deal. And I think getting this deal is very important for the overall economy and for the markets. Uh, in terms of what this deal needs to be accompanied with, obviously you said that it's huge in terms of staving off a recession in Q1, but how much can this bill actually do to the U.S. economy without it being accompanied by faster, a much faster vaccine rollout? You've only got a couple of million Americans who've been vaccinated so far. Yep. That progress is far, far too slow. Surely a stimulus bill needs to be accompanied, accompanied by vaccinated Americans in order to really have an impact. Well, you're right, saying it. we need more inoculations. But, you know, we also need another stimulus bill. I mean, right. this is not enough. I, I think there's a real pressing need for something more. Uh, Joe Biden, I think, will try to get one, but so much of this hinges on Georgia. If the Republicans keep the Senate, I think you'd get a very modest bill. If the Democrats keep uh, get the Senate, then I think the bill would be a little more substantial. And speaking of Georgia, um, obviously the president delayed signing the bill, so in a sense that hurts the Republicans, but on the other hand, he did actually sign the bill. So, so how much of an impact do you think that will have on, on, on Leffler, for example, uh, and Purdue? But things were so dysfunctional over the last uh, week or so that probably voters just shrugged their shoulders and, and are now saying, well, at least we have a bill. But I think that Trump still has another big veto fight that hasn't gotten much publicity. That's the defense spending bill. And if he gets overridden on that or if there's a big uh, controversy over that, 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 that can't help the Republicans in Georgia. I had thought a week or two ago the Republicans were very likely to win a seat or two in Georgia. I think it's a lot closer right now. Mm, well, we shall see. Greg Valier, live for us there. Thank you so much. All right, to a business story that might come as a bit of a surprise. Did you know that the world's largest snowboard maker is actually based in Dubai, of all places? So how is a city on the edge of the desert the right fit for winter sports? Lainey Jokos explains. Driven and successful, entrepreneurs like Rania and Nuhra are in high demand and increasingly, cities around the world see the likes of Nuhra as key to their future prosperity. Cities are always in a relentless competition with each other to attract businesses, to attract investment and to attract talent. When it came to setting up his snowboard manufacturing business, Nuhra chose Dubai. Hardly the obvious choice for the Canadian national. Flatness is good. But his company, SWS, is now one of the largest snowboard manufacturers in the world, grinding out 300,000 boards a year. So it started with uh, doing wakeboard and kiteboards. And in 2012, it was the organic thing to do to get from compressed molded wakeboard and kiteboards into uh, snowboards. In the economy of tomorrow, the big idea is that entrepreneurs and innovation are not defined by geography. To succeed, major cities must find ways to lure the world's best. 
So it really has become an all-out war for talent, and that is most certainly going to accelerate in the coming years. For Nuhra, Dubai's composite industry was a major draw. It is not just composite, it's high-tech composite. So Dubai is very much focused in uh, technical industries, industries that add value. They have been pushing for this. Dubai is also home to one of the largest ports in the world, Jabal Ali, giving him access to global markets. The big advantage having Jabal Ali that is connected to the uh, international shipping hub, we are on an average of 18 days to reach our client. Dubai's business-friendly environment convinced a talent like Rania Nuha to set up production here using the tools the city has to be successful. Eleni Jokos, CNN. All right, uh, that is it for the show. I am Zane Ash. I'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Stay with CNN. Inside Africa is up next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.